in this 155th podcast entitled there's still some more of the season left so don't give up yet we have questions on things like heart rate on things like altitude some reviews some insider news and it's all relevant to august and september 2017 Welcome to the 10th year of the Coach Joe Beer Multi-Sport Podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. We are supported by Nopin, suppliers of club, custom and aero clothing for cycling and triathlon, all made in Devon. Innovators of the Speed Pocket, now in two versions with retrofitted to skin suits and the Speed Belt for triathlon and duathlon. Visit nopins.com. Also supported by uk for all your biking needs with great brands such as Scott, Infocrank, Garmin, Powerbar, Tax, Park Tools, Beat It, Argon. I'm looking around the room here. Pretty much most things. And who keeps uh, Martin in uh, in employment? So please, <laughs> <laughs> so please look after them. I'm Coach Joe B, and I'm once again joined by uh, Confucius Crocker, as he is uh, known. Evening. 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 I think we jumped straight in to the issue of the little bit of noise we had last time and thank you to those that uh, that said thank you Darren Dodd thank you Desmond Grant thank you other people who have either emailed text uh, nobody sent uh, f- firmly worded letters a very strongly, strongly worded, worded email. letters strongly worded email no thank you for listening we do apologize um, something went wrong with the uh, we think the cables were all sorted so you should hear us in beautiful Dolby surround sound 3.14159 maybe maybe so we have Ian Turner who sent in uh he sent in a it's kind of a review bit of a question bit of a um uh bit of a thank you I think and he says hi guys thanks for answering my question in the last podcast it reinforced what I thought listen to the podcast on the plane home after four weeks in the UK needed something to help kill the 13-hour flight to Singapore I now have to make up for all that lost fitness after five weeks of no riding. I'm now officially slow. Haha. Time to build that base, then get my FTP back up to 300 by the end of October. Wishful thinking. Thanks again, Ian Turner, Perth, Western Australia. Now, it's partly a question, <coughs> excuse me, it's partly a, uh, an observation that clearly he's coming out of winter and going into summer and we're going out of what we thought was our summer there's still book to go but we're going into winter and having worked with people that are on the southern hemisphere you kind of notice that there is an obvious cyclical nature to the season and it's not to say ours is over and his has just begun but it kind of reminds me that we need to remind people there is a cyclical nature to what we're doing well like he mentions with the five weeks of of no riding if I suppose if he can coincide a holiday <clears throat> with his downtime, 
and it's off season, yeah. Then you know the gap in between and the five weeks is a nice little amount, really. A nice to recharge the battery, spend with family, and then get yeah. back out <clears> and and kind of have a. It normally gives you a nice big boost, doesn't it? Yeah. You, you find the enthusiasm to go and do absolutely, the training again. Absolutely, so. yeah. And he's you know he's a time trialist. I should have mentioned that. That's why he's talking about um his his FTP um and as such any sport you can you can leave it for a while and it's not to say everyone stop now there are still people i know because i'm i'm coaching them they still have goals some of them go as far as even november most people probably september's a stretch and maybe october in terms of their classic season and then they might do other things uh thereafter but i think it is important to make sure that you do have a little bit of time out. You know, you do one thing and you don't go, oh, I'll finish the races, right, straight into here we go again. You know, I think you've got to, you don't have to stop. Um, by the sounds of it, you know, his um, his, his four weeks was you now partly um, due to the fact that he uh, travelled here, you know, was, was maybe it's work or something that meant he couldn't ride his bike. But it's not a bad thing to take time out because if you are finishing one season to have a little bit of a break, you've got the longest possible period with which to not even notice you had that break, but you've got to keep your motivation going throughout that whole winter. And I think it's quite good. I love, I love October, but I think you have to, you have to almost like treat it with a little bit of look. This is not going to be the best month in the world to do. Cause what's the point in having a really big month? And I see it sometimes with people and then it's a struggle to get that done again in November. And by the time I get to December, most people, certainly those that, uh, should we say celebrate Christmas or Christmas affects their, their habits or their time or their travel or their social life December isn't their biggest month let's be honest so they started really good in October it drops a bit in November then it goes low again in December and I know you know some people can say no I can override that I can I can cancel Christmas I can I can kind of do it I still think you start October but we're not there yet but we're not you, there yet don't don't say that don't say the the, um, the w word, w word um, no do you find with coaching um you know coaching athletes that aren't in the uk so for instance you know christmas in australia is relatively warm yeah um do you find it difficult as a coach to be able to swap over from kind of us chilling down to them kind of those guys southern hemisphere guys picking their training up well, I think it was a classic where a chap emigrated. He was here, he emigrated, and we kind of had one season, went straight into another. But I had to be in his shoes, and it made me... It, it didn't confuse me, because it was kind of like, well, he has to do this, and that's his, that's his model. It probably would only confuse somebody if they didn't really know what you meant to be doing and when. So it was actually quite easy, because he was getting ready for his races. Um, he was actually, you know, his body was like almost having like a second summer which is which is quite different but i don't think it's hard because you have to do that in a micro way anyway because not everyone's peak is let's say a july ironman or a or a august national time trial or or you know or a set of eight cross races between october and january i, th I think people you immediately have different people on different um kind of programs yeah, but most people's doesn't tend to focus on you know november to say february normally november december january february are the they're not off and somebody got a bit 
uppity wrist. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to stop. It's like, no, I know you're not going to stop. It's just you're switching off from being uber competitive because you cannot be smashing everything through October, November, December, January and think you're going to go into a following competitive season and keep it going, you know? <laughs> so for you, with reference to the guys that you coach in the UK that have a Southern Hemisphere race... Mm, I can't think anybody's got one at the moment. No, actually, nobody's got one. That's quite bizarre. Yeah. But Sometimes people do, because they might do Ironman uh, New Zealand or one of the Australian races, or they might be, you know, say, World Championships that's there. But no, there's nobody at the moment. But yeah, carry on. But how... It must be difficult for them to be able to train, maybe do the peak of their training if their race is in February, for instance, mm. and have to do a peak of their training when it's winter here, mm. or becoming winter. Yeah, and, and also to sometimes qualify with one peak and then recover and then have to go back up to another peak while everyone else is still in their kind of, you know, off-season mode. I, I think ev everybody that has a different goal to the norm has to, before they even set underway, almost think, what? how does this fit into, when have I got a peak? Because if you haven't got a peak till November, then it's pointless smashing yourself to pieces in May and then thinking, of course, it's going to be a long time to get to November. I, I would say I even notice it with people that I'm coaching for um, Ironman uh, Wales, uh, also people going to Kona, is that you've got certainly to the middle of September and then to early, mid-October. And that's a bit long for some people. Some people now that are finishing up the majority of the races let's be honest you can't say oh there's still loads to go no the majority of most people's seasons is gone they've done more races than they're left to do so it's still a case that some are, uh, some are sort of like saying yeah a few more to go but hey, it's been a good season and i'm not saying they're 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 hanging their boots up but you can just sense that it's not the same conversation as they were having five months ago and they're like right going into the first a race this one, I really want to, you know, get it right. Um, might be four months rather than five months. But I, I do think it's, it's, it's always different because not everybody's got a goal that fits into, you know, May to... The typical plan. September. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of sort of differences. But yeah, thank you uh, very much, Ian, from Perth, Western Australia. We uh, hope you got back well. And um, yeah, keep us updated as uh, you go into nice sunny weather and we go into the, uh, Dark the, stuff, abyss. the stuff that builds your character. The dark abyss of winter. Um, this, was, uh, this was another question. This is completely different. And uh, when it came through, I thought it was quite interesting. I haven't actually sat down and thought um, at length, not because I didn't think it was worth having like a, a bit of a um, skim around, but I think I know the answer before I know the whole question. I saw it, I knew it was, and I quickly responded back to them and said, yeah, we'll look at that. Um, but it's about altitude, and it's from a chap called Sean Annette's. Um, he says, I wonder if you can answer a training query. Um, our gym has an altitude centre, um, but not sure I understand the theory. Uh, one, you are never in there long enough to increase blood count. Two, if I do my normal power training, then um, uh, heart rate will be too high throughout the set, so training the wrong system. And three, if I train at lower heart rates, then my power is lower, hence I end up detraining. Um, can you explain if an altitude centre makes sense and how I should use it uh, with, with trainer road to optimise benefits? Thanks, Sean. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think there are more of these places cropping up. Should we explain what? Yeah, what an altitude sensor is. So it will basically be a room where the percentage of uh, oxygen that's entering into the room has been reduced. So you'll probably, depending on the setting, you might be working at 5,000, 10,000 feet. So you're breathing in a lower percentage of oxygen. Therefore, you're briefly, if you like, going up to you know boulder potentially way up to um can't think what's up at ten thousand feet but some of the ski stations i suppose um and in effect what you're trying to do is <clears throat> excuse me is is start yes start the body of oxygen and there are various theories and i think i think this is why altitude training and even some of the athletics recently there was a lot of talk of altitude mm. there's been stuff on rowing and it's one of the things that's changed in the last four decades is they do a lot more um altitude there was i think a podcast i listened to that was talking about uh marcel kittel he'd been to an altitude training center in Colorado, uh, colorado near there yeah boulder colorado which has been a you know, well-known destination for cyclists for years but it doesn't always work. And sometimes I think, you know, training camps are different when an athlete spends two or three months away versus somebody jumping in and out of a room because you've only got so much time. So my thought would be the theory on an altitude room is you're better to go in there and to do quality work, push the aerobic system at a higher level. However, although um, Sean did say, you know, if I do my normal training, the heart rate will be will be um, too high and therefore I'm doing the wrong training system. I think it, if you're working to power, your heart rate's only high because the oxygen delivery system's having to work harder. If you've got a lower percentage of oxygen pressure going into your body, your body will have to work harder to transfer the oxygen across. If you're still working at the same wattage, then that takes that takes out the equation that you're, you know, you're you're working the energy system too hard. No, you're not working the energy system too hard. You're just actually working the muscles at the same percentage, but the cardiovascular system's under load. But what you normally find is people actually can't quite hit their normal workloads because the oxygen system cannot easily cover that discrepancy there's still a slight decline and some people are very much very much affected by this and it declines massively i remember years ago doing a, a test on um, a gometer bike in a in a uh, lab breathing the air the equivalent of uh, mexico city and i remember it had no effect on me i was like fine other people did it and it really affected them and I think with these indoor things, it's worth having a go. It's worth using quality and knowing you might get a little bit of a drop in quality. But unlike Sean's third thing, which is if you lower your power, then you'll end up detraining. You won't detrain. Mm. You're taking the pressure off the, if you like, um, structural systems such as the muscles power production and pushing the pressure onto the cardiovascular system trying to shunt the blood and the byproducts of the anaerobic metabolism in and out so you're just slightly varying it it won't it won't drop off a cliff it'll just be slightly harder for your body to deal with the same workload of watts or you do just slightly lower watts you still notice the systems being pushed um, whether it'll work or not 
to be honest, the only way you'd really know about this is to start, have a blood profile looking at your ferritinine, your haemoglobin, your red blood cell volume, and then do a course of them and see whether at the end of it, your wattage, your heart rate, etc., improves. I, you know, unless it's something that's so easy to do and so cheap to do, you hardly notice it. I wonder that it's, it's almost the icing on the cake that you might not want to play with. Because there are people that spend time at altitude and they come back and they're absolutely wrecked. And maybe this one quality session a week, you know, if you could spend a long time in there, and literally, I don't know how big this thing is, but sometimes they have such big rooms, some people can just be in the back and they can spend three hours in there at a low intensity, but they've still trained high and then the rest of the day they live low. And there are these theories that say, you know, go up, train high, which keeps the quality up and then go back down to you know nearer to sea level and, uh, and live at a lower. Some people say, actually, live at the high altitude for most of the day, but drop down to the lower altitudes to do your quality work. And that seems to be slightly more in vogue. Um, with the rooms, I think it's worth a possible try, but I wouldn't put your, your whole season and your racing just down to that one specific tweak. Because if you also haven't got the right ferritin iron um, stores the right you know nutrients going into your body and that you can't test whether your blood is actually responding to this positively it could just be a great way of finding out how to overtrain it is interesting because like you said it seems to be the the kind of fashionable slash in vogue thing and i know it's been been going on for years um you know with either altitude training altitude tents mm. you know um to to kind of us athletes, are we are we kind of? I suppose if it's not expensive to do, yeah. If it's um, part of your gym, then maybe it's too then, easy then not brilliant. to do it. Yeah, yeah, then brilliant. But I, I, yeah, it's is it a step further than you really need to go? Yeah. And like you said, it could could go one or two ways. It yeah. could it could be something that you're train under, as in you know at, at, at altitude. Mm. Um, and then find that it just absolutely kind of knocks your socks off. Mm. So. I'd imagine that if, you, if you've if you got a big enough room and you can spend a longer period in time and nobody, you pick very off, you know, off, uh, like off peak times and you can get in there for extended periods and it makes no difference to gym membership. It's not, you know, super expensive. Then actually to do low intensity, longer workouts would probably be better. Mm. I'm guessing. Just because if you do high intensity at high altitude, probably for a sea level liver, um, you're probably going to find that it's too much stress on the system. Uh, but I do come back to this idea that unless you're monitoring not only your power output and heart rate, but also you are taking um, blood profile data, I can't see that you know whether it's altogether working or not. Yeah. You know, they, but anyone going to altitude is, is blood profile because you've got to know whether afterwards their body makes the right appropriate changes and therefore they've got to really dial in their you know their recovery and their diet because there are people that come back from altitude that don't get those performances there was stuff i saw from uh roman Bardet, and they did a lot of altitude work and they were measuring lots of his data to really check that you know they weren't just training and getting nothing back they were absolutely dialed in as to the effect it gives and Many instances of people just coming back and they don't get the performance. Like, I've done all that. I mean, this isn't travel. This is just going to the gym. But people that have done 
um, training camps and it hasn't worked. And that's why sometimes even when you get the, you know, the, the, the cyclists, the rowers, the runners, the obviously the athletics championships that we're talking about coming back from altitude. Some come back late, some come back, you know, uh, in time for their body to adapt. There's still not one fits all. So you can't get all of them and say, you've all got to do this time for this many days. And some come back and it works and others come back and say, I don't know quite why my performances weren't where they should be. And that's where it's still unknown because you're talking about, you know, taking people that for the most part um, aren't altitude adapted at birth but you're shoving them up to altitude unless they spend extended times and that's why places like you know boulder colorado are famous for for triathletes living there because they want to spend you know four and a half five thousand feet um living as their default and then when they drop down they're better at sea level if they go up higher and do some training up at some of the sort of higher points they can get extra stress on the system but they can live casually at a modest um sort of altitude but this this is yeah we might find something but my hunch is there are probably easier ways to find that few percent and the moment you take away that it's gone <laughs> you know and it's gone and, and and is it getting you you know if they're if they're selling it for some people you know it'd be like don't do altitude get a monitor on nose brief just teach your body to be aerobic fitter i know i know sean i have coached sean in the past and i know you know he's the kind of guy that would look for these things and sometimes they would work but i think you'd have to because you said like earlier it's at the top of the triangle it's a very high level performance tool you've therefore got to use high level performance metrics in order to know whether it worked or not you can't just go i think it would be better right you've done all that you've gone to specific altitudes done set workloads each week it's been progressive you've gone towards your goal and you haven't really measured it apart from one end result i think you have to use um a bit of this sort of uh, uh blood profiling data you should almost look and see if they've got any data to back up how they the uh, the providers of the um, facility how they have been told to use it specifically and what research backs it up because some research says mm, altitude is okay but you got to suck it and see and if it doesn't work you may have lost your money others would say well there's a set protocol but actually it's not about jumping in a room once or twice a week you've got to live there and live there at least at 5,000 feet etc etc and I know they were saying that Mo Farah's regime coming down off of altitude was different to other people but he's maybe spent longer um, he may be more adapted to that and other people it might be the first time if they're quite new on the squad they go to an altitude camp at high level they could suddenly you know even at 5,000 feet some people can immediately get few more nosebleeds get dehydrated find the quality of training drops and the more they do that the more they can search out what that person needs and how to adapt it to them it is interesting because like i said it's, it's something that has has been around for yeah. <clears throat> you know for quite a while um but i think we'll start getting like you said you'll start getting particular profiles now of yeah. of certain athletes doing certain sports need yeah. to be up there either up at altitude for a certain amount of time yeah. or the the most they're allowed up there would be three days drop down to sea level or race at sea level so yeah. i think more and more of this will start to escalate now yeah. to a point where they'll you know you'll almost start to have a bit of a pattern yeah. and i know everybody's um, physiology is different as well so that's it's high level it's yeah, high level it's you ultra know, high level, there was a, a psycho weekly have got a video of michael hutchinson um interviewing Alex Dowsett and they show his training room and in one particular room there's an altitude tent 
there's been pictures of um, you know, Ali Brownlee and he's got an altitude tent. So the very top performers, you know, they've got one. How often they use it? What regime? When do they not use it? You know, they won't be in there all the time. And I do wonder that sometimes if you if you do these things wrong and get it wrong for the first time, you might think it doesn't work. Um, if it's just something you're going to try from time to time, you probably go in there, do, you know, even if you were doing aerobic work at a normal level, you're still probably having a drop of oxygen delivery to still make that a worthwhile session. If your heart rate's up, that's only because cardiovascularly you're challenged. Mm. You're not actually... Um, initial, well, you shouldn't be producing massive amounts of lactate just because you're at an aerobic level and your body's slightly challenged. It will just be that heart rate often goes up. And the more you go in there, the less that heart rate increase should be. But I don't know uh, the frequency with which these small sessions would have to be done. And therefore, I do wonder that you might have a go at it, but I, I, I wouldn't overthink it because I don't think it's a long-term strategy. You're probably better to look at your, you know, your base training, your intervals, your, um, you know, your carbo loading, your beetroot loading, all the other things that come into your sport. If it's triathlon, your, you know, your swim technique, your bike aerodynamics, your body weight, all those things. You've got enough factors to be playing around with there to even just keep on top of. And then to muddy the water somewhat with uh, altitude I, I do wonder I think it's a step too far to be honest I think unless you really understood and somebody's gone through a hundred athletes and can tell you this many days this is what you do oh it's all part of your gym package if every time you're going in there and you're paying a fiver you just think you're not going to get back your money you're just going to go into altitude and not see enough of an increase not compared to how that could be spent on massage organic beetroot new pair of running shoes, air optimization, swim videos, all the things you could do it because you'd have to do you know, 10 of them and before you know it think, oh, that's probably not going to make a difference. But it's a good question because I think it opens up this idea of altitude, but it's probably the icing on the cake for most people. Um, it does blend very nicely into the inside, not the inside of news, I think we just call this news. <laughs> news, news yeah. but also again... Musings, musings. Also, it's good look into how now when we look at pro training and everything was exclusively for pros how you know we're allowed to have their bikes now if you know mm. I mean, you've got pro equipment um you can have pro training you know you mm. can have pro um pro setup so you know even altitude which was again and power meters you know that were always oh that's definitely for the pros it's definitely for the pros mm. now it's not it's accessible isn't it yeah but yeah to a point of is it a case of, oh, I've been training at altitude, and then knowing the variables of it, knowing, has it done me any good? Is it a performance? Has it improved my performance? And if it, if you can't definitely say yes, mm. then, yeah, you're, you're kind of... You, you've, you've shelled out a lot of money, really, to, to kind of have yeah. this, uh, I'm not quite sure. Whereas a power meter, all right, yeah, it might tell you stuff that you don't want it to tell you ever, which mm. I think is probably... But it can make, make it can be it can be it can be quite easily quite simply made into an improvement of people's yes. race day performance their fitness assessment. I think with the altitude, it's going to be a lot of jiggery pokery to get it right. Um, and if you try it, Sean, and it's something easy, and the gym you know doesn't you know doesn't excessively charge you, and and you do see some kind of benefit, it it might be worth you know sort of sharing some of that info, but. 
I don't see it as a easy to integrate way of uh, way of improving. But a good question. Good question. And, like and this next, I kind of call it musings and news. Um, and we call it musings and news. Starting now. Do <laughs> Musings and news. Yeah. Uh, when the Tour de France was on, and Mark Cavendish had his um, famous uh, crash, uh, there was then subsequent stuff that. It is connected with the altitude. That Sargan pushed him off. <laughs> no, I didn't. Say, right. You just said that. Okay. Peter Sargan, it was Martin Crocker, not me. Um, to accelerate the recovery, Mark Cavendish went back to the Isle of Man. There were pictures, there were tweets, so it's not it's it's not um secret. He was making he was making uh, you know plenty of visibles and he was on the ITV podcast while the tour was still going on, he was talking to Ned Bolton and to uh, Dave Miller and was talking about having hyperbaria. Now hyperbaria is the um it's not the opposite end of altitude training. This is a different way of getting somebody into a chamber that is compressed. Um, in different ways, some of them compress the air and some of them actually, um, if you like, uh, pressurise the air just to a higher point whereby more of the oxygen will go into the body. You're not changing the percentage, you're just changing the pressure. So it would be like... It's actually, small enough. Rather Mark, than, rather, Mark Cavendish is small enough. <laughs> rather than altitude, whereas you go up, the um, air gets more rarefied. Not the air, the oxygen rather. As you go down, the further down you go, imagine there's a column of air on you. The pressure of that air goes up. Therefore, the amount of oxygen you absorb goes up. Okay? And hyperbarrier, you know, hyper is up and barrier is pressure, means higher pressure. Okay? So you go in this chamber. He was said he was doing, um, I was taking all this on board and writing it down, uh, an hour and a half in the morning and an hour in the evening. And he was saying it definitely improves uh, his recovery. Um, this was, uh, yeah, it was several days after his crash. It was on the 15th of July. He was talking, he was talking on the ITV podcast. Um, and it reminded me, and I suddenly had this like eureka moment and I found this magazine literally on the on the shelf, pulled it out, went, hold on a minute, pulled it out, and there was an article in a nineteen eighty seven traffic magazine about hyperbaria. And I thought, I don't know how the hell I've just remembered <laughs> Hyperbaria magazine. The magazine just happens to be behind me, pulled it out of this cubby hole of magazines, and it was about hyperbaria, and they were saying about how again it improves recovery and um I need to reread it again and see what they were saying at that point. So that was Blimey, that was, and it was, I'm sure it was September 1987 that I can remember that, the front cover, and it said September 1987. If I did, then that's really, like, silly, bizarre There's going to be one person memories. that's going to remember it. Yeah, you? it's me. But, you know, 87, 97, 07, 17, so 30 years ago, and they were talking about hyperbaria. When I coached a, a very good uh, triathlete, and he was a very good duathlete as well, called uh, Eric Haar, and I lived in the States for a year, we used hyperbaria in order to get him to recover. And there was this big, like, sausage-shaped, um, could only call it like a blow-up, sort of like, 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 almost like a sleeping bag, but it was like a tube. You could lie in there, there was clear, like, windows you could look out of. And it was pumped up using this special compressor and it pumped it up and he'd be inside and I would be pumping the pressure up to the set amount. And he would therefore get effectively go down to the effect of, I think, like another like, 
I'm going to say four or five thousand feet effectively drop down. Now we were in San Francisco at one point, so effectively it's dropping down way below sea level. And uh, we used that for recovery. Um, I never used it. I couldn't get in the thing. You wouldn't get me in there because too claustrophobic. No way, Jose. <laughs> Do you know what? It actually had a razor blade in there because you imagine if somebody, you know, left them unattended or there was something going on and that person had to get out, they would have to cut themselves out because there was no other way to get out. You know, it had, it had to take the pressure. How did you get in it then? Well, it gets in it and you zip it up, but it's a special, oh, right, like, right. zip. It's a really, like, you know, high, high like, precision zip, etc. Um, but then we went to... Boulder did a training camp in Boulder and we would do it there to effectively take him from 5,000 feet and drop him back down for a couple of hours or might have been an hour, might have been 45 minutes if I remember rightly, close to sea level, just to get a recovery period of having more oxygen compared to being sea level. You could have jumped in a car and driven a few hours and done the same thing and driven back again, but it's easy to do it. And uh, we were measuring things like aerobic mile time at a set heart rate and stuff and we definitely noticed the effect now whether it was the effect of going up to altitude on its own but going up to altitude having these brief hyperbaria breaks at least once a day and then i think off the top of my head is aerobic time at 150 beats dropped like 30 seconds a mile and it was just under five minute miling at, at 80 percent max heart rate and that was my kind of um introduction to hyperbaria i'd kind of read about it then tried it, um, remember writing about it a few years later, and then when it popped up with Mark Cavendish and his recovery, and I thought, ah, so it's out there, and that's almost the exact opposite of Sean's question that came in about altitude. Yeah. And yeah, I was yeah, thinking, yeah. actually, people are constantly manipulating the quantity of oxygen to either starve the body of oxygen during exercise to make it adapt better, or with hyperbaria, give it extra oxygen, particularly with breaks and so forth in order to aid it so i was going to say is it with, with hyperbaric does it help does it aid with muscle recovery after a, a, a session or does it help mainly from an injury point of view well it's, it's both because you're you're not you're not giving somebody more oxygen what you're doing is you're putting the oxygen that that person is uh it's like the air that that person is sat in has been hyper compressed so it makes them go lower and I don't know how low you can go below sea level I know you can go to some places quite significantly below sea level can't you but it's not as low as you could go with hyperbaria so it's still taking your body to levels of oxygen saturation that are off the Richter scale therefore you you get an improved both cellular but also recovery um, sort of process and you know Cavendish was talking about it saying every time I've you know I've done something like this this has been brilliant this is why I've gone to Isle of Man this works and what I could see with exercise recovery and what I could see when I was working with Eric was yeah it was definitely you know again it was on the esoteric end of stuff it wasn't what everybody else you know wanted to do and I can't remember anybody else even even wanting to try his tube he was willing to sit in it and for me to you know stand there and watch the thing for 45 minutes and then and then uh, get him back out but for most people it was again a step too far um, and unless you're doing it you know he was training over 30 hours a week it was his job to train so this is one of those things where hey we can get this this guy from uh i think he was from la to give us this you know this hyperbaric chamber we uh, we used it it worked um i think somewhere out there we're in an advert somewhere and some bizarre you know some bizarre like um channel you know one of these sort of like uh tv channels for the hyperbaric chamber but when mark cavendish 
said about it, all of these memories and things started to click. I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I've kind of forgotten about that because it's not been on the radar. And I, and I did have an athlete recently get a, a serious break, and I think they are looking into this because they've talked about it, but they didn't quite explain, and we haven't spoken um, for a week about it. But I think they are, again, looking at hyperbaria or something similar to aid in recovery. And the fact that you know Mark Cavendish was doing it for, for a break kind of suggests that this might be one of those things that could help top-end um, athletes in performance or just assist in recovery. That's good. Actually, funny enough, I, I did see the tweet um, that Mark put out, Mark Cavendish put out, and uh, even I went, I wonder, what, what's he... Has he, has he got the bends? <laughs> has he, <laughs> he got the bends? Uh, and yeah. I thought, well, I'll, I'll have a... And I had a quick read-up on that. And I I thought, well, that's, that, that's, that's quite a good thing with an injury. But then mm. I couldn't work out whether it was for any form of recovery, really, from kind of physical exercise mm. to, mm. you know, a serious injury slash break, mm. and whether that would help speed the recovery of muscle fatigue as well as mm. kind of broken bones, etc. Mm. Et so. yeah. But yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was a good little, uh, put a little video on it as well. So. Yeah, yeah. And his was a great, you know, like I said, it was a metal thing with yeah. a door and stuff like that. This we had was, was virtually like a, like a, yeah, like a bag, a blow up bag. Sleeping bag. With, yeah, with, uh, and they used it, um, I think again, they used it in, sometimes in like emergencies to do with the bends because you could take this mobile somewhere you know you could just put somebody in it quickly pump it up and especially on uh like like you know mountain sides if you needed to to theoretically get that person's body down four thousand feet quickly you put them in there you pump it up and it just saturates their body with oxygen and, and helps them sort of thing but i i i put all those bits together and thought, oh, there we go, hyperbaria, it's out there. And the fact that yesterday, Sean put a question in about altitude means this is all about oxygen, either high or low. Good. Uh, right, come on. Uh, we've spoken about a few things and there's some things we can't say on air, but uh, um, you went to uh, Switzerland to look at some uh, Scott bikes, I hear. I did, no, did. not I hear, I know, because I, I couldn't ba- know. I basically kept sending Joe pictures um, saying, wish you, wish you were here, <laughs> wish you were here, and uh, yeah, all the, uh, I, I've got secret pictures. I so, know secret pictures that yeah. I couldn't do anything with. Yeah, I know that's even worse. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this time of year we get to see most of the 2018 kit that's either been made and is on its way, mm. or potentially there is kind of one or two of. Uh, this is what it looks like. It will be available later on in 2018, even though we're still in 2017. Yeah. So with the brands that we deal with, obviously, we get to see them. Um, we get to see... So things that I can't talk about, which is about as, <laughs> which useful, is on, which is about as useful as a chocolate teapot, is uh, certain things from Scott, uh, certain things from Continental, Continental. certain things from uh, Mavic, yeah. As well, and focus um, and focus as well. So you're but, you're like this secret agent of 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 the of the technology of of, um, of cycling, aren't you? Not really, no. Because in six months it'd be yeah, we knew about that one. Yeah, you know I know, I mean? but there's nothing so secret that, that nobody's ever going to find out. No, 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 no. This you know? is it. This is it. And, and and there's there's other other brands out there that we've been we've been lucky enough to see certain things. Do I know about this continental thing? Prototypes. Do I? Uh, well, oh, okay, I should, all right. You're giving well, me the nod, I but should, I'm thinking. Well, I hope so. <laughs> okay, and, all right. And things that now, that, I mean, we've got when well, we've got Eurobike at the end of this. End of this month. End of, well, no, it's it's in the next few days. So by the yeah. time this podcast goes out, Eurobike will be on the way. Eurobike on the way. So most of the stuff comes out yeah. in that. So. Yeah, Eurobike and Interbike in uh, the US. Yeah. Um, 
And so, then there's another, isn't there another, um, another European bike show sometime after Eurobike? Yeah, there's, no, there's, there's kind of like three or four major yeah. ones, yeah. aren't there? So, so everything will come out in that anyway, um, which then I almost go, well, I might as well tell you now. <laughs> I might as well tell you, but we can't, we can't, because uh, obviously we're kind of, we're tied legally to certain things. So. Are we, do you think we're allowed to say general trends that we know are happening? Probably not yet, no. No, I don't I, think I would, no, no. I would say if we wait to our next podcast and then we yeah. can back that up with the images. Yeah, that's probably best, like that. yeah, rather, so, rather, yeah. Rather, rather than let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. Although, well, I suppose you could, you anyone, anyone with a protractor and a few dots on a piece of paper could see the cat out of the bag, if you know what I mean. Yes. But anyway, you anyway, can join the dots, can't you? You can so. join the dots, absolutely. Um, but other than that, things now, things have moved on. You know, from even from 2017 to 2018, and even further into 2019. Mm. But again, the frustrating thing is, is not being able to let the cat out of the bag to be able to say where it was going, where yeah. this is going. Yeah. So, um, but don't you think we, we see things with certain, you know, with certain sports either changing rules or there are, and I'm trying to be quite generic, or there are, you know, um, professional athletes across, you know, the. The, the the triathlon mountain biking they're always testing something that if people look closely they go oh such and such is on you know you get these spy shots of somebody in a certain pair of trainers on a certain bike or a certain helmet you, there's always that happening and that's happening well you know and i know things whereby somebody's you know using equipment and it's kind of already been mostly sorted out but they'll have the final version and they might eventually say that they used that or they might just be oh that was something that was part of what british cycling used to call the secret squirrel club you know there's always things that sometimes um have uh have a way of either finding finding their way out into the uh the twitter sphere or there's something that people um you know just don't really consider or don't or don't find out later somebody's book somebody's you know, yeah. will say oh but we did you know oh yeah we did you know we did pump the tires up with helium or we did yeah we did used to swim you know when they're that um one of the when the swim squads that some of the female athletes used to swim nude for some reason it was something to do with yeah. their you know their swimming their swimming was i don't know why they did it um but there's all there's things that you know come out and they're either stories they're actually things where people were starting to to you know um almost like experiment because pro athletes can't just come into a bike shop pick something off the rack they'll always get something that's different they'll always have even if it even if it looks like it's the same it's slightly tweaked yeah, yeah. Oh, we'd, we'd, and again we'd be hugely naive to think that these secret spy shots and oh someone's let the cat out of the oh bag kind yeah of somebody's thing. let the cat out of the we'd bag we'd be extremely naive <clears throat> to think that it's not all to do with the publicity. It's mm. all to do with pushing brands, yeah. you know, pushing the next technology. Yeah. Um, but some of them that genuinely do come out, I mean, you know... The, well, this, we send shots between one another, don't we, sometimes, is, about things. I mean. And it's like, sometimes you know that that is kind of, oh, right, yeah, you know, two weeks later, it's 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 in the next bit of news and somebody spots and goes, oh, is that such and such? Oh, right, yeah, okay. But it's that, like you say, there's a there's a lot of, you know, there's no there's never really any leaks. There's people actually deliberately letting the cat out of yeah, the bag yeah, so people yeah. know kind what's of trickle, going on. Trickle yeah. feeding stuff. So and yeah. they often happen at the times when they know that it's a, a slow news time so that, you know, either everyone's focus is on the tour and they do something in the Tour de France or somebody goes to Kona and they 
oh, they happen to release their best bike in Kona. They, they do it either at very high focal points to make sure yeah. that people know about it, or they've actually been trickling it out in low-level races with, you know, um, almost like they'll sometimes pick, because I know somebody did this once with a nutrition product, they picked like a, a standard sort of training group and got these people doing stuff with products to actually test stuff before anybody else. But it was a way of kind of keeping it a low level because nobody was going to be accidentally watching what these athletes were doing and say, what are you drinking? What are you doing? And as long as they kept it in-house, it was better than giving it to a load of elite football players and people starting to take shots of, hold on a minute, what are they drinking? Right, we want to find that out. Yeah, so, uh, and, and again... You know, this time of year for if you're either in the industry or you're into your, your bikes, you're into triathlon, you're into your running, you're swimming, this is the best time of year now. Yeah. Because all the new stuff that has been hidden away for a bit is slowly starting to treakle to the fore. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, obviously with, with certain things that we, we are going to in the next couple of weeks and the next month or so, you know, there'll be other things that will start coming up, so... Um, you know, technology-wise, has a lot changed? Yes, in a certain degree. Yeah. Um, you know, um, after that, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that, you know, we've kind of seen, whether it be um, new swimming kit, um, you know, new trainers. Um, the only other thing, you know, there's no aspect of training that has changed so dramatically that you've come running into the shop like screaming, a word. Screaming and shouting, going, have you seen this? Have you, have seen, you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Thrusting a, a paper underneath my, my nose for me to go, yeah, I can't really understand, can't really understand first that. three first lines, Joe, so I do apologise. Um, and I think, I think with, with the research, it's too easy and it's, and it's always important. If something comes out, just to, just to check that, again, it's not just a very inflammatory very kind of like look at this this is brilliant and then people go oh somebody else tested it it wasn't quite as good as oh you know what they really picked the people that that was going to work on i think it's always whether it's a product whether it's research whether it's somebody's you know training diary or somebody's news about what they can tell you about this that and the other sport i think you've always got to watch and have your 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 dampeners on just to dampen it down because the chances are that there's always a reason why it's made out to be all singing or dancing. Somebody's either selling something or somebody's selling something. It's yeah. one of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've just... Look at this. This is the information age. We've just had a question come through. Um, and, uh, and and as there was this uh, there was this bit here, and I, and I wanted to uh, see whether, while I'm doing the question, whether you think that's something that we should talk about or not. But the question is... Um, uh, it's from James Cleland. He is a triathlete uh, from sprint up to Ironman distance. Uh, and he's actually said, I, I quite like this, because I, I think particularly as it's the entry level point for a lot of people in triathlon, I think it's quite a good question. And he says, uh, he says, I see people laden down with bottles, gels, etc. Um, but is it necessary to fuel during sprint triathlons? Question mark. Is fuel is fueling beforehand enough? Question mark. And I think I think you know his, his answer, or rather his second question is the answer. If you've been warming up, and that's the other thing about sprint triathlons, you know you're doing it for hour, hour twenty. You know you should be warming up a lot before that because you're not going to blow up on an hour twenty event if you're warming up and you're taking fuel in as you're doing it. You're just about to work at a high intensity. 
So when people say, oh, I won't warm up, but I use the swim to get warm up, it's like, you're joking, aren't you? You're going to use the swim to warm up. Surely the clock's going. You're trying to be as fast as possible and you're actually going to be able to hold yourself back and warm up in the swimming pool or warm up in open water with a wetsuit on. That won't be the case. So you warm up. And if you're warming up on a turbo trainer, which is probably best, then maybe some upper body work with some um, like latex swim bands just to do your upper body workout and get your body uh, just underway and ready to race you could do a bit of running but you've got to watch too much running and then going in the swimming pool could you know go for a three mile run you might find you push push off in the swim will start kicking hard and you could get cramps so running might work a little bit but not too much anyway if you've taken that on board and literally you're drinking something quite close you could take on board a little bit of fuel in that race and certainly those that maybe it's a harder course and they take an hour 30 hour 40 they definitely need something they're starting to go to that point where if you take um and it's kind of my certainly my preferred distance i think is for whatever reason i do sprint triathlons better but i always figured that a tiny sip of something on the bike if you had a really like dry throat but aside from that if you're just about to run a 5k hard the last thing you want to be doing is drinking too much liquid because you start running and you can easily get a stitch whether you've got the greatest breathing pattern or not and actually if you took it early on in the bike sometimes people will do isotonic gel or they do a small amount of liquid um, you can get by and I've tried it and touched nothing and it's fine you can do an hour hour and 20s worth of exercise without drinking because um, what sweat rate you're gonna get liter liter and a half you can deal with that. Your body can drop by a litre, a litre and a half and still survive. You've not put your liquid into your gut and expected it to exit when you're working at a high percentage. However, if you are a slower athlete working at a lower percentage, you're probably better to be on the bike, sipping a bit of liquid. Um, just, you know, le level up your, um, or level up, a silly expression, um, bring up your blood sugar levels to a constant uh, constant trickle throughout the bike and then when you get to the 5k which might take you might take you 35 minutes you know you've already not gone into that going oh i'm already you know down on energy so i i do think you know why people are laden down with like you know bottles and gels and stuff it's like you know what you probably can get by and until you try it and i know we've done it with james but it's his question because he's looking around thinking hold on a minute what's all these people doing with all this stuff on yes he's you know he's probably uh the irish championships is probably and he's, he's way in the top 20 often he's in the top 10 so he's going quickly but even so you sometimes look at the quickest athletes and think you know how close am i to them to to do what they do but unless somebody's out there for a long period of time they don't need too many things on their bike they're not out for 10 hours they're out for you know hour and 20 minutes and so i, I like the angle that his question's coming from because Actually, if you fuel enough beforehand, if you haven't got so much paraphernalia on your bike, it's not as heavy. You're not having to try and drink. You just get on the bike and just ride it. And you're still leaving, as with any triathlon, you're leaving the best effort to get yourself on that run as fast as possible through the run. The bike is controlled. Actually, you often feel like it's much more controlled not to take on board fuel because it's not. you're not limited by fuel. You're actually limited often by lactate buildup on the run so you may have a little bit to sip early on the bike just to wet your throat maybe just to slightly lift uh, blood sugar and slightly improve your and you know, often when we give people sugary drinks they feel like they're more energized but i think it's a good question because i think the inexperienced 
sprint triathlete that's told about oh don't dehydrate don't dehydrate will just think they've got a, you know i better drink a whole bottle during my 40 minute ride only to think oh do you know what i drank too much and then i tried to run and i got a really bad stitch and yeah. i was burping and what have you yeah. do you know what i mean you, you are right you see other people you look at always you always do it i don't care i don't care how kind of seasoned pro you are you kind of always look at other people's kit and go think i'm gonna need that yeah and even yeah. even you yeah. start questioning you've got all you've got it all mapped out yourself you're like that i'm happy with this setup happy with this setup and you look at other people's kit and go oh, oh maybe i should have taken three gels yeah well, well i need three gels yeah and you kind of think to your question yourself again well i've got two what happens if i do need three yeah well i've got energy oh have i have i got enough though yeah. and then you do yeah. you do question yourself yeah, 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 yeah. But, but 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 for the most part you know unless you're taking you know hour 20 or more you only need a little bit. And if you're taking you know, some of the shorter ones, the 400 metre perhaps pool swims, which cuts down on time, it might be a very flat course. There's many of those where you can be, you know, just over an hour, hour, hour 10, in which case the last 20, 25 minutes of that are flat out running. So you've only actually got 40 minutes before that anyway. So you could get on the bike. And sometimes I've had a bottle you know, an, even like an aero bottle or something that's not too aerodynamically uh, penalty, small amount of liquid and gone, I only need 200 mils, I'll just drink that and that'll just, you know, it might be cool, it might be even sometimes that you just take a tiny bit at the end of the bike if it's a very hot day just to dry, uh, sorry, wet your throat because it's got dry. But for the most part, that short distance is about lactate tolerance. And if you're taking too much time thinking about when do I drink next, what do I eat, you're probably not going hard enough. You know, um, it's pretty much everything you could do to to push yeah. the pedals down or, or yeah. to, what, to kind of. I tell you what would be interesting is actually to do what what I think of as a timed triathlon, which is to take people and then say, okay, you know, if 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 you took if you said it's one hour, it's a bit quicker, but it's easier maths with one hour. If you say sprint try, you know, takes you know elite athletes an hour. Um, so break that down and say, okay, ten minute swim. 30 minute bike, 20 minute run, very roughly. Okay, they are quicker than that, but let's do that. What would be good to do is take individuals and say, right, how far can you swim in 10 minutes? How, how far can you bike, you know, in, uh, in 30? And how far can you run in 20 minutes? And actually get an idea of how, because if they do the same distances as pros, of course they can be out there 50% longer because they haven't got the engine. But to see what it's like to race for that shorter duration is quite good because mm. you're all racing for the same duration. It's like the hour record. Everyone just has to do an hour. Yeah. So nobody's, nobody's, nobody takes less or more time. You take an hour. And to do time trials, i.e. you do something for a set amount of time, it's quite interesting because you can then automatically see that everyone therefore only has to work for an hour but to take, you'd have to do it in a standardised way. I mean, the pool's okay. So as long as the pool's, you know, um, as long as you're not drafting somebody, you have to see how far you can swim in a pool. Um, on the bike, you probably have to do, I suppose you could do like a 20-minute time trial, couldn't you? You know, if it's a fair course, do 10 minutes out, 10 minutes back, something like that. And then on the run, probably, again, you could you, you can easily work out a 20-minute loop, but see how, you know, how, how far... Set yourself, no, it's going to take about 20 minutes. I'm going to 20 minute alarm goes off, press your button and work out how far you can go in that hour. Because what you'd see is, you know, people, people that work for just an hour can work at a higher percentage, but they might 
for the run bit, they might only get two, you know, two miles done, say in the in the twenty minutes. They think, wow, you know, the Brownleys and the elite females are, are doing, you know, way over three miles in that, and some. So of course, they're always going to be doing a different event because the run itself takes fifty percent longer for them yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that and that's the difficulty with taking sometimes timings for James and his sprint try. He's done in just over an hour. For somebody taking an hour 30, oh, right, this is a slightly different event. You're going for 30% longer. So, of course, the person that he's beating by 30 minutes couldn't, if we said, right, let's just do it in an hour, they still couldn't do what he can do in an hour, but it'd be interesting to see how much difference people could attack an hour's worth of try. Because sprint try is still the shortest distance. Well, no, people sometimes do sort of super sprint, but you start then seeing that the the distances don't come down in exactly the same chunks yes yeah you know they start to you know they might only do a 200 meter swim but they then still might do a you know a 20k bike rather than only doing a 10k bike they, they almost don't end up being standardized they, they tend to keep them um quite sort of uh almost like the the sprint is set when you go down to super sprint they can start playing around with those percentages but good question james because sprint triathlon is an entry point for people um that that don't know and if you you know, if you are experienced and you see somebody clearly overcooking their nutrition, you can sort of say to them, you probably don't need that so much in races. And I've had this with clients and said, don't take anything whatsoever. And they're like, really? And afterwards they go, wow, that was amazing. I could run harder because I couldn't get a stitch. I wasn't having to reach down for bottles. Uh, it, it was a bit dry, but you know what? It was better to be dry than to get a stitch. And I was quicker. Bingo. It just means you can focus on the job in hand, doesn't it? Yeah, Rather than having yeah. to worry about three things yeah. at once. So, how much? Yeah. How much? Um, obviously, because you're you're making your uh, appearance once again in cyclocross. How much time does that take? Well, it's always it's, it's either fifty five minutes plus a lap. Yeah. Or an hour plus a lap. Yeah. So you kind of know how long you're going for, don't you? I take four gels, yeah. six bottles. <laughs> I don't take anything. So yeah, like you yeah. said, to warm up, you yeah. just have your. I normally just have um, a five hundred mil bottle. Yeah. So I warm up. While sipping that as well, a yeah. couple of efforts. Is that on your warm up bike, and then you put on your warm up? You you and then you swap your warm up three bike. bikes. Three bikes, have you got? Yeah, so yeah. two race bikes, one yeah. warm up. Bike. Yeah. Do you do like some of the guys do, and you like put your fresh shoes on as well at the start? Yeah, know? change your kit. Change your race kit. kit on. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. If you've been, they've got to have their bright, spanking clean shoes for the start. Yeah. So it's got to be. No, yeah. I don't. You don't. No. No. I have one bike. Yeah. Um, I don't have anybody. One, in the one, pits. one bike, one plan. Yeah, one plan. <laughs> flat out, and then faster. Flat out and then go harder. No, so so I take a little five hundred ml bottle. It's normally got a bit of energy drinking, um, depending on how far we've travelled as well. So normally, like I said, cyclocross is about an hour, but the drive can be two and a half, three hours mm. to go and do an hour event. Mm. To drive it. So mm. if you look at it from a a kind of time management time management point of view, it's an absolute utter waste of time, really. So, but five hundred mil bottle. Hey, I've seen some great pictures of you doing cyclocross. It is not a waste of time. No, those pictures have kept me laughing for months. <laughs> we, yeah, we, you we put that on the turbo training wall. Um, and it's it's normally the bottle's done. I normally then have a recovery, either recovery drink or recovery bottle. Yeah, when I've finished, and then like I said, I have a little warm down recovery bottle. Straight back in the car. <laughs> Two and a half hours home. So, no, it's, it's, it's good. But yeah, for that di- amount of time, for anywhere. Yeah. Up to even sometimes a little bit different for the mountain bike races because they can vary between an hour and 15 and an hour and 30, depending yeah. even yeah. hour 40, depending on the, the conditions. Big difference in hour 15 to hour 30 yeah. to hour 40. That's like a big change in your time. So, but um, you, you, can, you can allow for that by looking at previous race times. Right. You know, with, 
you know, maybe the juniors have gone off before. Yeah. You know, maybe the seniors or the vets or grand vets have gone off before, but you get a rough idea yeah. kind of yeah. of their lap times. You can uh, you can normally work it out. So. Um. So I was going to do something now. I was going to say, um, th this is an observation. This is an observation from uh, doing the uh, London to Paris with uh, hot chili, which is basically three days of about 100 110 miles of riding so it's kind of grouped into various uh, ability levels and within so it's like a like a multi-day sportif in fact yeah start start uh, london get down to paris uh, but just do it in three days and what i noticed was there were some things that i thought actually this is this this sort of highlights some things but it also brings you back to the basics which in some people's case maybe they jump past the basics they just kind of not quite you know not quite figured that the basics are um are, are needed um get a bike fit you know if you're listening to this podcast and it you might be mounted by a cyclocross triathlete road racer you know sportive rider whatever check that you've got some kind of reasonable bike fit and I think that also when you get a bike fit that it it still feels right, you know, because some people get a bike fit. And we had somebody the other day that I've just done. Um, uh, what was that Thursday? Was it Tuesday? And they said it had a bike fit. And when I looked at it, it was still wrong. And I think you want to make sure that the bike fit is backed up by somebody else that sort of say, yeah, that, that does that does look right. You don't want a bike fit and then go, I'm still not happy with it. And I could see people that. I, I lost count that you were seeing them really point their toes they're teetering on their saddle you think wow center of gravity is going to be really high and lo and behold they were very very iffy round corners because their body weight was too high and their feet were pointing you know toe down so that doesn't give somebody comfort or confidence and it would have just taken and i thought it's not my job to go along to somebody and say actually you need to drop your the saddle this 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 low because when you do it and i tried it once and somebody like looks at it looks at you and sort of says look I'm, i really do honestly it's i'll i'll you know i'll give you free advice just drop it because it really does look precarious and you'll find you can ride better because you're really putting emphasis on your calf you're a bit high you're teetering around the corners and even then you see the person the next day say why didn't you drop the saddle that oh yeah kind of and think, okay fine and i think it's it's worth people because this was so far off i was like i don't know who put you on that bike but I tell you, they are wrong, and I put my house and my kids on it. That, that it's it's wrong. Sorry, and I want you to be comfortable. And because you're riding next to me or in front of me or behind me, it'd be nice if you were sat on your bike, right? And it's not to be offensive, but it's just to say to people, look. And I don't think this person was that experienced at cycling, not from how I could see how they rode. That just buying a bike doesn't mean you're a bike rider. And I think that it's up to other people also to sometimes observe the people. And I asked somebody else who I was with, and I went what do you reckon and they went oh yeah too high and this was somebody just you know that isn't they're not a they're not a coach they're a rider they've got a lot of experience but they just said yeah too high and i thought it should be it should be people helping other certainly cyclists where you're fixed to an object i mean people have different opinions about running style and swimming but on a bike there are definitely rights and wrongs i think and this is this is why i love cycling this is why i love sport is because you do get lots of information, whether it be right or wrong. Someone is willing to give you free information that they think might freemium, help you. Freemium, as freemium, as call it. Freemium, yeah. But with with cycling, is it's almost a wealth of knowledge. So you've got kind of 
guys that are young guys but have mm. done a lot of riding mm. you know and and they they can give you little little nuggets of information you've got the kind of the older generation that are still in cycling clubs that are off doing it um still riding their bikes so this is what we used to do back yeah. in the day yeah and you yeah. kind of just go oh things have moved on but then you think about it and you go well, actually things haven't moved on like that they still make mm. yeah there's still some, out yeah, of rubber yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's still some things that that are not that that they haven't they haven't been they haven't been lost and you see the positions of people on bikes whether it's you know Alfenger's riding the first uh you know first sub 50 minute 25 mile time trial or Beryl Burton or Dave Scott riding in a triathlon or somebody and you look at them and think no they weren't too high somebody put them on a bike right and I think there's just a there's just a, a lot of people that are newbies that it would be good if, if they were because if enough people sort of say actually I do think you need to drop and it's you know you need to get it fitted we're not on about bikes that were two a penny we're on about some pretty awesome bikes we think there's nothing there's nothing worse than a really great bike that's not being sat on properly because actually that person's not getting the most of it and there will be at some point an issue because there's no way if you sit on it wrong you're not going to come unstuck get injuries or find that the bike doesn't work for you but, but do, you, do you think this should then be the this should i i feel as as though this should be the job of a bike shop they should be yeah going, but then we should, should yeah but then we've got Buy direct now, haven't we? We've got the models that have come with, you know, buy direct from the manufacturer and then somebody's got to try and do it themselves. I, I, yeah, I, and I, I think, all right, I am I am kind of guarding my own back with this. You know, we, we, we live in a society now where you can go onto the internet, buy a bike, it'll be on your doorstep tomorrow morning. Yeah. You know, but the element... Not another one. <laughs> the element of the bike shop is, you know, you come in for the expertise. Yeah. Yes, you do have to pay... Maybe a bit more than you can get this bike online, but these yeah. guys, yeah, ninety nine point nine percent of the guys will know what they are talking about. Yeah. You know, they're happy enough for you to go look. You know, I'll pay for a bike fit, or can you just quickly give me a, yeah. a saddle height fit? Just make sure that's correct. Get you roughly where you mm. need to be. Mm. Shake your hand and say thank you very much for your custom. Yeah, you know, this is but the oftentimes you it. do it as part of the bike. Yeah, as, as part, the, part of the, the bike choice anyway. Yeah. But I, I could just see people and I think, yeah, do you know what? It's it's just a thing to observe, and it's not. It's not a rant. It's just like you know what? If somebody, if somebody can can you know give you an ounce of uh, of uh, free advice, but also if you haven't got one, then find one of the you know people that has got a reputation for getting it right, because there are people that have got systems and set people up. And they've they, they've preempted the setup with how they think people should look instead of going hold on a minute you're still not comfortable right my machine might be wrong I've got to rethink this how how do you, how do you, how do you get you looking like you're on the bike properly and actually just double check that you are in the right position because if you go to one place and they go oh I reckon you're a bit high or, or let's do this old rule of thumb oh yeah you're still a bit high if quite a few people say it and I'm going to put my neck on the chopping block now. There is a there is a short leg syndrome going on here. There are people that are short, okay, and they're trying to ride too high a saddle, okay. If you're tall, one of the things you'd like actually is to have slightly shorter legs sometimes because you're you're one of the highest people sat there and everyone else is lower down. But there are people that you know it's like look, you haven't got a, you know a 34 inch inside leg, so don't ride that higher saddle. Get yourself sat down on the bike. The plus of that is you are now lower. Your centre of gravity is better, so you'll handle well. You're also slightly lower in the wind, but also your legs can now deliver the power properly. And there are people, and I just think it's it's just, 
it's wrong to be too high. There's no way it can ever be justified. And if you look at enough pictures, surely you can get it right eventually. Because you don't see most people riding along and when they're coasting, their toes are pointing down. It's like, that isn't how you coast. You should coast and your foot should naturally be able to drop and the heel is, is flat and there's still a bend in your leg. And if you can't do that, you're gonna have to drop your seat post. You know what? There are worse sins in life than dropping your seat post. And when people do it, like, and we've had people, let's face it, we've had people sometimes like 30 mils, like 30 mils, 30 mils, like, it's not a reflection on your, you know, on your, on your, on your manhood or on your, on your, on your, yeah. on your kind of, um, your, your, your status in life or your ability. It's saying you just need to sit that low and you either take that and do it and come back and go, oh my God, that's brilliant. Oh, that's brilliant. Wow. That's amazing. Or you, push it back up again and go, oh, it wasn't right, I needed a high saddle. And I think listen to experts because there are plenty of them out there. After a while, if several calculations, if several systems, and if people just sort of say, and you know, and I got this instant reply from this guy, I just looked at him and went, too low. And it wasn't just like too, too low questions, like too low, kind of like, almost like, God, how could you be that far out? And I think... There is therefore a lot of people that have got bikes that need to become cyclists and they need to tap into shops and fitters and, and other people that have more expertise just to get you on the bike. Because once you sit on that bike properly, bingo, you're then going to have so much better an experience because you will be less injured. You will be able to handle that bike. You will be safer. And ultimately, therefore, you will also be able to probably help somebody else be in the right position you know that's it and, and that's what i was saying about the whole sport thing is is that we have this massive wealth of knowledge and experience and people are hesitant to give this information but sometimes you can just go i just can't get comfortable on this bike and you're mm. like you're just a touch too high on that mm. saddle and, mm. and you can see people's face go really mm. you're like yeah yeah mm. how much just try 10 mil 10 mils massive really mm. but just try 10 mil drop oh my good lord you know yeah. you would be like that i i didn't think 10 mil can make so much Well, yesterday I had a starting seat position on a bike of minus 12 degrees, okay? So that's a, that's a heck of a nose drop. So that means that person's weight is falling forwards into their tri-bars. Um, they weren't a triathlete, they were a time trialist. Um, it probably worked out about a 30 millimeter drop of seat height. You know, but this person came to me saying, blimey, my shoulders hurt. Well, that's all of that weight going onto your tri bars. So your shoulders are effectively bracing yourself. Uh, the beauty of Facebook, we could instantly go and see a race picture. And the race picture showed this person almost bracing and their shoulders were up in the air as opposed to being rounded. And um, the I think the outcome of it was, was that they just... Um, that's Martin playing with his inclinometer on the iPhone, which is what we use to make sure people have got there. And yes, the table is flat, Martin. He's just <laughs> yeah, checking knew, to see if the table's flat. I knew you flat. would check that as Just well. to check if the table's flat. Um, yes, yeah, so it, you know, it was down 30 mils. The saddle pointed down. But this chap sort of said, I knew you'd highlight the saddle because people have been telling me it's not right. And he said, I thought the saddle might go down because I've not been really comfortable. So I said, yeah, the thing about bike fit and about saying to somebody, am I on the bike right, is you have to be able to accept when they say, yep, yeah, we're going to change this. Because nothing worse than someone saying, yeah, I went back to the normal. It's like, well, the normal was wrong. We're going to put you properly on there. So 30, 30 mils down, yeah, 30 mils down, saddle to horizontal, 
and the person sat on it went whoa that's completely different you know and that and that's you know oh and that is that's exciting this is good and then uh optimization a bio race optimization afterwards it's like wow look i've got 18 watts now because i can just sit in a better position and not be slammed into the bars so you don't you know you 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 don't have to be closed-minded about it. You just have to check, particularly as you age. And I think sometimes people get used to a certain seat height and their, you know, their their their, their body structures, their flexibility, and quite actually where they were sitting has changed because they don't realise it. As this person said, "Blimey, I've lost track of how many times I've moved. I don't really know where I was or what I've been doing." To actually get back to the basics and to get somebody set up right, and it might mean you have to chop a bit off of your seat post because it won't go so far into the frame. You might have to, you know change the uh the saddle angle and uh, change other bikes but we want you this the it's the job of the of the fitters and the aerodynamicists and the bike shops to get people riding their bikes in the best way that that tool can be used so that they're you know they're kind of happy nothing better than some saying wow that's amazing that's so much more comfortable power's going out brilliant that's me happy then somebody you look at them and go blimey you know my my pet peeve is is looking out the window sitting talking to you you know and they go oh look at that person in the high saddle you know it's like oh don't they know that they're you know they're potentially going to make themselves injured but anyway that's me firmly stepping off the soapbox and onto uh, planet earth again but then with with things like the london to paris did you did were there other things that you've seen there that you thought oh well that person's kind of got it that person's got it oh i remember talking about this and um discussing this on the podcast or i'd seen something um one of your um papers that you get out were there things there where you had definitely seen a bit of a trend with oh, lots was, of people yeah there or? was people there was people you know a lot of people on uh, on wider tires you could see the default was wider tires um and there were spoke to one guy you know he could tell he'd been riding the bike for years he was probably in his i'm gonna say i'm gonna say late 30s maybe maybe just about 40 and he kind of you could just see his road craft he was just on it he knew how to ride and there was the good bits about london Paris was there was some timed sections so you went through a timing point because you had a a, a chip on your bike they timed at that starting point and then you would see who could go quickest through these um timing stages which would typically start with like a hill climb bit then flatten out and then you'd get a, a real charge into the final bit and it was just great you know kind of midway through a hundred mile stage suddenly actually going flat out thinking blimey I, I said i wasn't going to do this and now i'm into it i'm going flat out and this guy you could just tell how he was riding and how he was moving around he just knew what he was doing there was other people pulling out they'd gone up the hill so hard and were coming literally coming back down again and you you do sort of notice that but that's the beauty of it you can all ride together and do this thing and and actually you know we have a broader church of cyclists this was definitely you know a a, a broader section of people rather than just a load of people that were all you know cats ones twos and everyone else can't keep up there was there was different speeds but also you could tell there was almost like different levels of people as to whether they were just about keeping up or whether they were quite comfortable they knew what they were doing and um and actually they were you know they 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 were comfortably riding whereas other people seem to be on the limit for most of the day and you just think oh they are absolutely you know you can see them at the end of the day they 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 look like they'd done it for 10 days not for 3 days sort of thing but yeah it was it was very good and and as a multi day thing i've never ridden 3 you know it was about 320 miles over 3 days and i'd never done that um it was you know there's always 
teething points as to how much you'd like the group to be moving along. It was moving along, but you know the timing points weren't. You weren't always stopping at set points. But that's kind of like that's how things go as you roll on the road. You sometimes say, right, we're gonna have a quick stop. Uh, quick stop. Here we go. There's always a van with him. What was the best bit? Which I thought was was brilliant. Was there was motorbikes that closed the road ahead of you, so all the junctions are being closed. So you're just riding through France as fast, literally as fast as you can, rather than having to stop at each junction. But there was a, a, a big black van with each group, which basically was like your um, support van. And if somebody got a puncture, you didn't start to mend it. They would just roll up behind you, pick you up, get you in the van. You're in the van. They're changing the wheel like that. They would get the person ahead of the group or onto the back of the group or nearby. The person would no, not they wouldn't chuck them out the van. And get, <laughs> you can imagine rolling about the van. Get, at speed. get pedaling, sunshine. Yeah, get pedaling, pedaling. There you go. No, um, I, I can't even remember how they got back in, but they would typically do it where it was slowing down. And this person, or they would wait till the next stop, and this person would suddenly emerge. But they said, you know, this van was there for um, sometimes charging up past the group. You see this black van go by, I think, what's going on there? Well, that person would be a bit further up the road, and then as you came by, they knew that that person could pick up with the group and carry on. Um, but, yeah, you never... If you got a puncher, you never changed your puncher. They had this group of, of mechanics that would do it for you, which was really good. And then the final part, to stop outside of Paris, we probably had about an hour's worth of riding, the whole 400 people riding into Paris with closed roads. It was just incredible. You know, you looked straight down, there was this one straight road. It was about, like, two miles of cyclists. Just, it was it was massive. It was huge to look down the road and there's all these cyclists riding ahead and to go and to go in to go to... Uh, end up at the uh, Eiffel Tower and stuff like that as a challenge I thought it was great because there was lots of different abilities even the people that I knew that were in some of the other groups there was varying abilities that you say wow they've done 300 miles that's some feat for people that weren't you know super bike fit um, and something that I definitely want to do again did you win? <laughs> There's no winner, mate. No well, winner. well, they they did have GC stuff. But, we're all you know, winners. We're all winners. We're yeah, all winners. we all got to we all got to uh, the Eiffel Tower. We all got our little uh, bottle of champagne and our medal. So we're all winners, aren't That's we? That's it. Very yeah. true. Yeah, and it was one of those things where um, well, you know how much I ride. I, I wasn't riding, you know, hundred miles to see whether I could ride hundred miles. So it was as much about experience and eating and pacing. Um, and probably the benefit of my Garmin mount breaking is that I just couldn't look at the numbers. You know, I put it in my back pocket and stored some of the data. But I wasn't looking at numbers thinking, God, we're going a bit hard here. I was thinking, actually, if you listen to your body, you just get on and do it. And you know, like on training camps, you know you're tired. Okay, just keep eating. Don't panic. If your legs start to go off the edge a bit, right, just eat a bit more. Just relax and they'll come back again. And I was kind of thinking afterwards, it's a, it's a really good way of sort of immersing yourself in it. Because it's not like it's a hard day, easy day. It's like, it's three, you know, it's 300 miles in three days. So there's no way you kind of have easy you just get used to being a bit tired and you get on with it good good on you but well yeah done. look up uh hot chili dot it's either dot com or dot co dot uk and um they got various events but yeah london to paris i'd highly recommend it it's uh very good um so very big thank you to sven and his team and uh, i know we'll be getting a group back to do it again next year they're already talking about doing training for it so um you know most of them weren't they were literally riding a bit and then they decided to go and do it um and, uh, yeah, I have announced that you're doing cyclocross, haven't I? That, you know, people should be aware that you're going to be racing. <laughs> should be aware, yeah. <laughs> if you're not, you, you'll see me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Be fine. Um, I think as a, uh, as a we're going to call this the, the summer podcast, looking out the window, um, 
I think we'll, we'll wrap up 155. We'll ask more questions of people for uh, 156. I think we've had... Um, uh, I think you would have a... Uh, um, oh, no, one last question. One last question, which will be for you because you'll be the expert on this. Okay, um, This is from Debbie Sheridan, who's a, a, a time trialist, also does sporties, but does mainly time trials. Um, would you recommend putting sealant, e.g. stands or cafe latex, in, ch in tubs? Are there any drawbacks? There we go, Martin, come on. Um, you can. You can put them in there. The, the, the downside to some of it is the fact that you have high pressure, low, vo high pressure, low volume in, in a tub. So it, eventually it will seal it, but it has to reach the lower pressure. So it's not like you can carry on riding and it will kind of fill the hole. You do get quite a big drop out of pressure. Right. Um, if you then left it and it, it managed to seal, you can pump the tyre up. But sometimes then the pressure that you put back into the tub blows the seal out again so we've we've tried it with a few tubulars and had kind of a, a mixed bag if i'm brutally honest right so with the stands fluid um even some of the vittoria pit stop that seems to work quite well yeah uh, if anything the pit stop works better than the latex um so the downside to it is it is very very hit and miss with it there's not as much as a downside as it adds extra weight. You know, it doesn't do anything funny when it rolls. Um, most of the time, the latex kind of coats the inside, but you also need a spare bit of latex in there to be able to kind of push itself towards where the you know where the, where the air's coming out, leaking out of yeah, the tub. Yeah. But nine times out of ten, I would say it probably doesn't work. Um, whereas the Victoria pit stop does. Yeah. Um, and the Vittoria pit stop also puts the pressure back in the tire as well. Didn't you once use Vittoria pit stop in a fifty-mile time trial to um, to um, to uh, affect somebody's outcome of race performance? If I remember rightly, did I? Yes, mm. I remember. I remember somebody's. Um... You're not going to let this go when I beat you in this fifty, <laughs> are you? Because I'm the fifty champion, and you are not going to let this go. No, I you've did got... more than fifty. You did less than fifty. <laughs> you didn't go to the turn. The turn was where you meant to go to. And the reason for this was uh, Mr. Beer had set off in front of me. Bearing in mind, this 50 had been cancelled, hadn't it? <laughs> well, no, not been cancelled. It's just not many people turned up. Yeah, well, it was think. me and you, wasn't it? It was just me and you, yes, yeah, yeah. So, and Joe had had a punch. Joe set off a bit further in front of me. So the minute... And we had a guy that actually timed us, and he set us off, didn't he? Oh, he was, yeah, yeah. he was very, he was very like, well, I will set very you off efficient. and time you. And we very were like, official. I was going to like do it on, um, on sort of a gentleman's agreement as to whether I beat you or not. Yeah, um, which you didn't. And I, um, we got <coughs> half. We, yeah, we got about. I beat you to the turn. Did we get? Did you get to the turn? I might have. Anyway, you didn't because <laughs> you got the puncher you stopped me for the Victoria pit stop and being the good Samaritan that I was instead of riding past you and then throwing it at you going I'll see you at the finish I thought I better make sure this worked it didn't work did it no no so but you then, hadn't got to the turn had you uh, shut up <laughs> and I then had to cycle back to go and get the car slash van to tell this gent who was still stood in the lay-by with the timing us. timing us <laughs> Uh, to tell him that it was null and void that it was null and void Joe had a puncher and he was like oh right I said thank you very much for that he says you know it's your Sunday ride and he was like oh it's no problem it's no problem anyway off he went I put the bike in the van proceeded to come down and pick you up didn't we picked I'd ridden about five miles on a flat back down yeah. so to which I picked Joe up got who back brought in the that van. disc off of me <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Um, to which then I declared that I'd won for 50 champs to which Joe's reply was 
You didn't. You didn't reach the turn. I stopped and helped you. I could have left you there. Okay. Anyway, twenty quid petrol. Yeah. But no. The, the, uh, were you actually given the fifty mile championship trophy? <laughs> no, no, you weren't. No, no there we go. Um, but to, to answer the, the the question, which was from from Debbie. From Debbie. Sorry, Debbie. Um, it's very hit and miss with the, the yeah. stands. Um, yeah. the, the fluid is getting better and better now. Mm. So, you know, the sealant is a lot quicker to seal. Uh, it stays in the tyre uh, a bit more. So something like stands, the cafe sealant, yeah. um, even um, orange products or orange peel, they call orange it. Orange peel, yeah. They'll, yeah. they'll do it as well. They're now, everything's kind of stepping up the game. The stands yeah. were the original yeah. guys. Yeah, kind yeah. Of because I know there are other people that have stated... Um, off record that they're trying to work on this conundrum of you know at higher pressures how to get something to seal and as the market moves into not only just having you know people with clinches that have got a tube and people that are tubular that have got a tube inside but also people that are tubeless they're trying to work out all of these different scenarios and what different things will work best and of course you've got different inner um inner sort of layers to the tires and how that affects what the um sealant works with what tube somebody's got in there and almost what product is going to work either only for their brand of of uh of tire or tube but also what could potentially be a well it works with all of them and if somebody can find the what works with all of them they will be absolutely on it that's the thing i mean currently we've got uh, a demo bike that we are running with tube less we uh tubeless tires sorry yeah uh, which we are using a particular brand of sealant in um, and currently, that is working very, very well. Is that the one on Nick's bike? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, so it eventually started working then? Yeah, but like everything, it's the same with tubeless on mountain bikes that we've been running forever and a day. Yeah. You know, sometimes they take a while to seal. They take okay. a while to seat. Um, well, they should seat straight away once you pop them up on the bead. So once they're kind of equal all the way around when you spin it, there's no lumps or bumps. Um, so the tubeless on the road bike actually is working better now yeah. we've seen a nice leap kind of from oh it might work to these are tubeless tires right you put them on the clinches um they're ready to pop up they're ready to seal and once the sealant has worked its way around sealed most of the holes it's uh you know, holes most sealed most of the gaps uh, so the air doesn't escape the rims are suitable for it it touch wood so far working okay. really well so that's a it's almost like the whole sealant thing as we've said about uh, Victoria pit stop is it's a it's still not perfect it's kind of like you know it's a bit like patches a bit like any of it it's like do you know what any of this can be a bit hit and miss um therefore we've almost got a watch watch this space and certainly you guys that have used it off-road more will be you have more products to mind such as stands and orange peel and stuff which i see in the shop but for most certainly time trialists and, and testers um and sportive riders they aren't really into that because the whole tubeless and you know auto sealant stuff just hasn't really been there no so no. it's it's, it's going to happen and as as more tubeless ready clincher rims are out there it's going to have to come yeah so it is actually a bit of technology as boring as it sounds is quite exciting to to the bike industry and will also be so much easier for you guys out on the road, yeah. kind of like the sharp end of it, um, not cursing and swearing and stuff by the east side of the road waiting for your pickup. I wasn't swearing. I was riding the bike back. Honest. I was trying to think. I can't stay still. I've got to create heat. Yeah. Because if warm. anyone's ever had that, you're in a. You know, it's typically in a time trial. Um, that can happen in a triathlon or sporty. You know, once you are, once you lose all spares and you cannot 
you cannot kind of move on your bike. You just think, how can I start making heat? I thought, I'm just going to ride that bike. It was actually a front wheel puncture because I remember looking at that front wheel yeah. thinking, how far can I go on this? And you're riding because you think, I've got to create heat because if I stand around in a skin suit, I'm going to get awfully cold, awfully cold. And so you just have to generate some heat because you've been working at, you know, whatever that was, if it's 50, it's probably, you know, I don't know, 250 watts. Well, that's a thousand calories an hour. You go from that and then stop. Yeah. You lose so much heat and then you just did a miss. And even on a warmish day, I mean, it still wasn't, it wasn't like it was pouring down. Yeah, it wasn't like pouring down with rain. Um, anyway, we'll leave that one in the past, all right? You weren't the winner. <laughs> um, we appreciate every review and every rating at iTunes. Thank you very much for those. Contact us with your questions. We'll be putting out this podcast for very late August into early September and we'll be doing the September one sooner rather than later so we can get that one out ASAP so either click contact at coachjobeer.com go and see the southforkracing.co.uk page and um, send them a little uh, contact and say hello Crocker I've got a question for podcast you can do it via the Twitter feeds which is uh, at coachjobeer or at Southfork Racing Southfork Racing and uh, yeah follow Southfork Racing and Coach Beer on Facebook, we've got Instagrams, etc, etc. So I think it's a, a very thank you very much for downloading and listening. And we appreciate your everything. And we appreciate your patience with the uh, little hiccup with the last month's uh, little background hiss. I think we'll put it down to a snake. Not wrong. Not uh, wrong. Yes, I think, uh, I think it's all sorted now. Um, so remember... No, you say this next bit. Let's try try again. Come on, let's sound professional. Remember, train smart and have fun. Mm -hmm.